podcast that i have been dreading this is the podcast about who is jay baroni who have you been listening to i kind of started this podcast on a whim you know and i didn't know what i was doing just wanted to have conversations with people who i thought were interesting we're on our fourth season now And I don't think anyone knows who I am. No one knows my background. No one knows my history. Um, You get little bits and pieces from the interviews I do about what I like and a couple of personal stories. But beyond that, who am I? Who is Jay Baroni? And shout out to my friend Vinny Cassio. He was the one that kind of was like, yeah, man, I think it'd be really cool if people know who Jay Baroni is. So shout out to you, man. Thanks. Uh, It took like two months or whatever to even start writing about this episode because I'm 34 years old. There's just so much to go over, right? So this is probably going to be multiple episodes uh, we'll try and record the first one today, see how far along we get. But, I mean, who is Jay Baroni? And this story is going to contain substance abuse, failure, loss, addiction, heartbreak, revelations, much, much more, right? Like what you get when you live life. Like there's no instructions for life, right? So who am I? I might be able to tell you who I am, like up to this point who I am right now in my 30s, but who knows who I'll be in the next 15 years? You know, it can be someone completely different. That's the cool thing about life. Like any given day can can have these monumental changes for the better or worse. So you got to be careful when you make decisions, right? I've learned that on the way. I wasn't always like that. I was kind of reckless, kind of... uh try to be the life of the party, you know, live fast, die young. Thank God I didn't die. (laughs) Through experience is how we become more identifiable. So I had a pretty normal childhood. I was born in 1988, which makes me 34 years old, uh, present day. I grew up in the 90s. My birthday is May 14th, so it's coming up real soon. About to hit that 35 spot. And for people that are around my age, you honestly do forget how old you are. I have to remind myself, like, am I, am I 32? Am I 33? Am I 35? Like, you just forget. You have no idea. Unless it's just me because I had a head injury at a young age. So maybe it's just me. But I remember most of my early childhood, man, it was, it was sunny. Like, most of the days were sunny and we always played sports in the neighbor with the neighborhood kids and the cul-de-sacs there must have been like 10 of us 
all varying ages and he had your scrawny kids he had your young kids like me you had some nerds playing with the the other kids that were like really good at sports it was like a melting pot you know but we all played together we had this one kid <laughs> and he got the he got the unfortunate nickname of uh spider spooge <laughs> he was a redheaded kid and the jock of the group would like just give out nicknames and for whatever reason he picked spider spooge that's one that sticks out in my mind <laughs> i mean the, the kid was a buzzkill though he kind of he kind of sucked <laughs> he was always picking fights and but it's cool man i mean we we all got along like even throughout the nicknames and stuff and the fights, I mean, we were like the age range was probably like six to 13, but we all hung out, man. We all hung out. We all went outside to play sports in the cul-de-sac and there was no phones, you know, there was no internet. Really the only thing that you had to worry about was like, if it was getting dark out and then you'd have to run home. Because you didn't want your parents to get pissed at you. I mean, that that was life, dude. Life was life was awesome back then. I loved it so much. I had a pretty good childhood. Um, my neighborhood best friend was Nick Bambini. He lived uh, in the same neighborhood behind our house and then a couple houses down. So not my direct neighbor, but close enough that you could walk there in like a minute. But me and this kid, we loved loved WWF. I mean, this was the best era, in my opinion, to watch WWF. Dude, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, you had The Rock, you had Razor Ramon, like the NWO was coming, you had Degeneration X, you had everything, that shit. We grew up on that stuff. So I feel like, (laughs) besides my parents, those were my other parents, like WWF and, of course, Nick Bambini's parents. So I grew up on wrestling, and every week, Nick's mom would would take us in their minivan and drive us to Toys R Us. Rest in peace, Toys R Us. I was devastated when Toys R Us went under. I never thought that would happen. Amazon just fucked up everything, man. You're ruining my childhood, Amazon. Anyways, Nick's mom would always take us to Toys R Us like once a weekend. And we would go pick an action figure out, a wrestling action figure. And we did this for like years. So we had so many action figures. We had all the rings, all the belts. I mean, you name it. We had it. And we would fake wrestle on trampolines all the time. <laughs> there was this one moment i i had a trampoline in the back of my house right and we would always fake fight on this thing and i forgot how old we were but we were starting to invite girls over and we invited this girl named brooke over and her friend to my house to go play on my trampoline i don't know if it was a weekend i don't know if it was after school seems like it was a weekend maybe early in the morning i don't know but the girls came over Beanie was there, which is Nick, which isn't his nickname, Beanie. It was me, Beanie, and then these two girls. 
and I think I think Beanie was trying to show off or something. And the trampoline was kind it wasn't like it wasn't flush, so it was kind of slanted a little bit. So if you double bounced and misbounced, you were getting launched like a fucking North Korean rocket. And that's ex- <laughs> that's exactly what happened, dude. In front of these girls, this dude just double bounces and launches himself. I don't know if he remembers this. I'll have to send him this clip. But he double bounces and this kid, he's a tall kid too. He was like 5'10 at the age of like 10, which is a giant. He double bounces and fly, like Superman flies, like fully extended, arms out, legs parallel, and just flying. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> the first time we have girls over, this kid pulls that stunt. <laughs> he was fine. He's like a cat. When you're young, I mean, I don't think you have to worry about too many broken bones. You're pretty nimble like that. But no broken bones, no nothing. Just look like an idiot. Um, not sure if we ever spoke to those girls ever again. And I don't blame them because that was kind of foolish. But damn, me and him had some good ass times. That was fun. Me and Beanie were also on the same baseball team, the same Little League team. Right? And my dad was the coach. Whenever I talk to him, he says that we were the best on the team, which I do remember. We were really good, respectively. But Nick was a giant, like I said. He was like, by this time when we played Little League, he was like six foot. And, you know, was super young. And I was like 5'3", you know, just so you can compare. Anyway, there's a story that lives in my head rent-free. We used to have this kid named Chris on our team and something was off with Chris like socially awkward. This dude was eating rocks in the dugout, like a construction machine. And he just wasn't really good at baseball. Right. He never really got it. So, you know, I get on base. I think Beanie gets on base and another person gets on base. So it's base is loaded. And (laughs) Chris is up to bat. Right. And everyone's just assuming all right, it's just going to be a strikeout or whatever, and then we'll get to the next at-bat, and hopefully we get some runs in. Well, no. No, for whatever reason, the the baseball god said, Chris, you're going to hit a monster shot, and we're just going to all enjoy it. So (laughs) Chris is up to bat, and this dude launches a missile. He nukes it. It's not a home run. But he hits it really far, right? So <laughs> first, he, he heads to first, and then he heads to second. He's rounding second. He's going to third base, right? It was a monster hit. And my dad's the third base coach. And my dad's like, oh, yeah, this kid, okay, we're going to get him in the park home run. So he's waving Chris. He's like, go home, go home, go home, like you would in baseball. <sighs> I can't make this up, man. Chris took this literal. When my dad was saying go home, Chris is rounding third base and took that literal. The kid walks off of the baseball field, and he lived he lived nearby. He was like a couple houses over. So the kid runs off the field and starts running home, doesn't bring any of his shit. The ball is like being thrown into the infield, and he could have scored a, a home run probably, but we'll never know. He just he ran off. The kid ran off into the sunset. I've never seen anything like that. (laughs) But 
it's so it's so perfect because I'm not making this up. He would eat rocks in in the dugout, but God bless his soul. I hope he made it home that day. <laughs> it's a really good hit. But look, that was my childhood. Like there were so many memories, so many good times. Everything was fun. Everything was comedy and just camaraderie and having a, a blast from what I remember. You know, it was exciting. And then once Beanie, Nick, got into sixth grade, you know, he changed schools to junior high and I was still in elementary school. So there's like a pretty big gap, you know, and he made new friends as well as I did. And, you know, you can't be hanging out with the elementary school when you're in junior high. That's blasphemy. Can't be doing that. So that was that was kind of like the end of our relationship for how tight we were because he was my best friend. But after that, it was, it was just never we weren't as close. We would still hang out and stuff, but you make new friends. That's how life goes. So this big portion of my life, we would, instead of going on vacations, we would homestay these uh, Japanese kids and for a baseball tournament. And the baseball tournament was called the Kaba World Series. And that was 15-year-olds would try out for their country's team. All over the world would try out for their team. I think they had like limited roster spots on each team, maybe like 20 players throughout the whole country. So it's like this really big deal. And this tournament was held in Crystal Lake, Illinois, where I lived. So my family got lucky enough. We we put a bid in, you know, I think I was around 10 when we first started doing this. You had to put a bid in. And if your name got picked or pulled, you got to homestay kids of your like a country and kids of your choice, I guess. So we always wanted uh, the Japanese kids. We thought that'd be such a, a good experience. Um, and we got the bid pulled. So once you get the bid pulled as well, like you're in, you're locked in. So you can keep doing it until, you know, you call it quits, pretty much retire from homestaying. So we would homestay these Japanese kids and you get two new ones Every single year, every season, because like I said, it's 15-year-olds, so you can't play on this team if you're 16. So every year, they just swap out. You have to try out for the team, make the Japanese team, then they fly them on out here to play in the tournament. And that was that was meaningful to me. That meant a lot. I, I, that's why Japan means so much to me. So within the podcast, you probably hear me referring a lot to Japan and how I just got back from Japan in December. Like that trip meant so much to me. That was a life-changing trip just because of all of the culture that I've been exposed to pre me going to Japan. The the kids that we that we homestayed, they never they never like learn perfect English, obviously. Why would they? They live in Japan. I mean, they have like little schooling on English, but there was always one kid on the team that could speak really good English but they did have a translator they had a a guy in his 30s or 40s and he would translate for the kids so the parents so we can all communicate but when they're sleeping in your home man I mean it's anything goes like good luck with the language barrier there it's a lot of hand motions like I had to learn their language they had to learn our language and there wasn't like any translators like uh like your iPhone or whatever it was cool. You'd have to get 
creative with uh, communicating in a sense, like communicating techniques, I guess. A lot of hand gestures, a lot of like pictures. Was, I don't know. I loved it. It was so fun to me. But the hardest part of that was after three weeks, they would go back to Japan. And I would never see these kids again. I wouldn't speak to them. I wouldn't see them. And the thing I'm trying to get across to everyone listening is that for three weeks, when when kids live with you and you're with them nonstop, like they become your family. I know it seems like a relatively short time. When you are with them 24 hours a day, like there's a bond. And especially when you don't speak the same language, like you have to figure stuff out. Like there's this weird connection and it happens really fast. And it it becomes like a brotherhood, man. It maybe sounds cliche, but it is what it is. And after three weeks, like I was just so broken up over it. Just so heartbroken. I was like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, I think up to 17 years old. We did this, the homestay. So every year I'm losing two brothers. Every single year I'm losing two more brothers. And that I think now that I think about it, it it took a toll on me, man. I get must of like that. <sighs> losing people like that sucks in the worst kind of way because I love them so much and I'll never get to speak to them again. I don't know how they're doing. I mean, we, we did pen pal for so long, but then just life moves on and that was the end of it. But I'm glad I got to have those relationships. I'm glad I got to experience that. They taught me so much about life and how to play the sport of baseball in the Japanese way. And they are so respectful. So that's why I'm very respectful when I play sports and when I meet new people, like just top of mind. They they really did a lot of me because I think I was so susceptible at that time at such a young age. Like I was my brain's not fully developed. I'm making all these new connections in my mind and they just created a nice pathway there. But, you know, on the other end of the stick, when you're that young and you keep losing people over and over every year, someone you love is just gone. I mean, that that does something too. So I haven't put my finger on it yet of what it is, but I kind of became leathered, weathered and leathered, I suppose. Leather in the sense that I have tough skin. Like if, if someone leaves me now or just leaves out of my life, like it, it kind of looks like I don't care. But I mean... It's just how I developed, man. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. And then weathered. I've been through it so much that this is who I am. <sighs> so I would not change it for the world, though. I had the best time. I learned a lot. Um, but yeah, that was also a part of my my childhood growing up. We didn't take vacations. We We got two Japanese kids to stay with us each year. So feel blessed in that sense because not a lot of people get to do that. 
Uh, let's talk about my parents. Yeah. My parents are separated and not legal. I don't even know if they're legally separated. That's how my family works. I don't know if my mom and dad are legally separated. My dad left the house when I was about 14 or 15 years old. My parents never got divorced, although they moved on with their lives. Um, but never, I think after a certain amount of time, legally, it becomes legally separated. So I think five years went by and that's when it becomes legally separated five or 10 years, but it's definitely been longer than that. So I lived with my mom for the majority of my life growing up and, you know, I never really had a mentor in my life. So it's always been trial by fire with me, you know, live it, fail from it, understand what happens and never make that mistake again or try not to, however, right? I've had just one idol in my entire life, which is probably interesting for people to hear. But at a young age, that died out pretty fast because my my idol was Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees. And this dude was amazing. You know, pressure situations, he always delivered. The reason why my idolization for him died is actually for a silly reason, but <laughs> it wasn't to me at the time and it kind of just stuck. So I won this Derek Jeter frames photo from Dave and Buster's. And for those of you that don't know what Dave and Buster's is, I don't know if it's a worldwide chain or a United States chain, but it's essentially like this giant arcade. And I told my mom that I wanted to send it to him and get him to sign it. So we went and bought this address book. And I looked up the, the New York Yankees and we wrote that address <laughs> on the postcard and then the envelope. And we, we sent that picture away and, you know, fast forward 25 years, I'm still out of my Derek Jeter picture and no autograph, not even a, thanks for being a fan, <laughs> nothing, just silent. Like some homeless guy is probably like playing with that picture right now. Has it hung up in his cardboard box? God damn it. I don't know where it went. I sent it, never seen it again. And that is the reason I do not have an idol. All right, you having fun yet? You starting to get the picture of who I am? <laughs> Probably think I'm a psychopath. Jesus, man. All right, let's fast forward to, uh, I want to go with this, middle school, right? Okay, yeah, because Nick Bambini had just made it to middle school. We got new friends the Japanese kids. Okay. Yeah. Moving forward, middle school. That is an interesting time for me. This is around when I met my second best friend who I grew really close to really, really close to his name was Matt. And he may have actually been the closest thing I had to a mentor or an idol besides Derek Jeter. Like we used to aggressive skate and play baseball together this kid was so fucking good at aggressive skating. 100% he should have gone pro. Like, no doubt in my mind. He was fearless. He was agile. 
this kid was doing tricks that were way ahead of his time, like ninth grade doing backflips and grinds like I've never seen on aggressive skates. Crazy. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty fantastic to be his friend. Uh, he's such a good athlete, man, even at baseball. Like, he was just always on, always on. And I think his dad, a sad story, his dad was a um, – he got drafted by the Chicago Cubs and got injured and ended up becoming – he became homeless after that. Like, he couldn't get back on the team, didn't want to find a job, and just ended up being homeless. So Matt didn't really know his dad besides he would see him every once in a blue moon because, you know, his mom wanted to keep him away because he was homeless and into drugs and drinking and shit. So that was wild. Um, We did everything together, me and Matt. Everything for around like three years, right? Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Every Saturday, maybe it was Friday, Friday or Saturday, we would go to the roller rink. And that's where that's where Matt and Jay were known, right? That was like the closest thing I've ever been to a celebrity. Everybody knew who we were from like the DJs, the roller police, which are the skate guards and all the girls. They knew who we were. That was like <laughs> we were vibing there. That was our prime, I think, unfortunately, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. That was our prime. And. Everyone had normal rollerblades, but me and Matt, we had those aggressive skates, right? And skater clothes, which people weren't wearing back then. Not a lot, however. And, you know, it, it was it was ridiculous. That was such a fun time. You know, and now it looks like skating clothes are making like a full comeback right now. Right? Like the, the early 2000s, maybe the 90s. It's like full swing right now. And shout out to my friend Josh Smith, too, because he rolled with us, too, at the rink. And he was really good at skating. We would also play uh, something in Josh's backyard called Minbay. And miniature baseball is a soft rubber ball, plastic bat, three of us, one batting, one fielding, one pitching. Those were the best times, man. But all that ended around ninth grade for me. Uh, and when people talk about regrets... Like, this one hits home for me. Like, this was probably the biggest regret of my entire life. Like, if I, this is the one that sticks out the most. Um, I'm usually okay with everything that I've done in my life, like all the steps I've taken, the mistakes I've made because it developed me. But with this particular instance, you know, it was about like 16 years ago. I completely destroyed a life and I feel so responsible for it. So Matt was, I'll get into the story. Obviously I can't just leave you hanging with that. So Matt was dating this girl and we'll call her Barbie, you know, to protect the people who are not, they haven't given me the okay to talk about this. Right. I, I don't want to bash anyone's names or ruin any, anyone's reputation, but Matt and Barbie we're a solid couple for like a year or so. And Matt loved this girl so much. Like he loved her so much. He would do anything. They had breaks and stuff. And, you know, he became an emotional wreck over it. All of us would kick it at her house and skate parks, movies. We'd go to Taco Bell and hang out in that parking lot and, you know, whatever. We were all tight. It was a click. It was really cool. It was like Boy Meets World, right? Like you got Topanga, you got Corey and Matthew. And I mean, what it was and well matt and barbie they 
eventually broke up for good, you know? And then Barbie called me over to cheer her up. So of course I did. Cause we were all friends and I'm a stupid ass 15 year old thinking with my hormones, I went over there and ended up spending the night till like 5 a.m., right? See, in secret, of course, because the parents don't want a 15-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl to have sleepover parties, <laughs> right? Anyways, you know, during that night, we watched movies and, you know, held hands and ended up kissing, watching movies in her basement and shortly became a couple after that. Yeah, so, I mean, everything, when you look at things in retrospect, it's so easy to plan out and say what you would have done now. Like, obviously, that wasn't the right choice. Of course, you can see that now. But when you're 15, and she was, like, one of the first girls that I was, that was, like, giving me attention to, right? When you're a 15-year-old boy, you're thinking not with your brain. It's like straight up hormones, right? It doesn't matter who the girl is. Like boys are like vicious in that sense. They don't give a fuck. If a girl gives you attention and calls you over, like it's going to take some, (laughs) some real restraint. And I give props to anyone that has that kind of restraint at 15 years old and knows better. Cause I certainly didn't, you know? And after I did that, Matt was never the same. Um, we obviously had a falling out because I basically stole his girlfriend or like, call it what you want. I started dating his ex-girlfriend pretty quick. And I gave up on my best friend, essentially. And what happened was he got into drugs, hardcore, real bad. And it fucked up his life. Like that girl that he was seeing that I took Barbie like that was the thing that broke the camel's back for him right cuz i think his household was a little unstable at the time as well and he was just probably barely hanging on and then that happened <sighs> yeah that's the one cuz i love that kid so much we would do everything it's so fucking stupid the way you think as a 15 year old is just so fucking stupid I hate to think about that, but yeah, if there was one thing I can change is that, um, I have spoke to him actually pretty recently, like a couple months ago, seeing how he's doing. And, you know, I think he's okay. I think he's doing better, but for like this 15 year span, I know he wasn't doing well. I know he got hard into drugs. I know he was not okay. And I'm, I'm to blame for most of it, not all of it. I understand that, but I wonder what life would be like if I didn't get caught up in temptation and do that. I really wonder. Because when me and him were together, like we were unstoppable. And it's so funny too, because his mom, I specifically remember this too. We were in his dining room. And me and him were just goofing around and his mom comes walking in. This is way before Barbie got involved. And his mom said, boys, you guys are really good at baseball. You guys are really good athletes. Whatever you do, 
<laughs> it's so funny thinking about this now. Whatever you do, do not in, do not get involved with girls. Girls will ruin you. And we're like, yeah, 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 okay, sure, sure, sure enough, sure, like she saw the fucking future. Sure enough, it was a girl that broke up our relationship. Sure enough, damn that one, yeah, that hurts. So, Matt, if you're listening to this out here, man, I love you so much. I'm so sorry, man. I think about it all the time. That was such a regret. I'm such a dumbass for doing that, and I hope you're doing well. Damn, let's reconnect. I mean, Jesus, I'll reach out to you, man. That sucks. And for those of you that want to know, like, where did mine and Barbie's relationship go? It didn't go anywhere. It lasted about four months. I caught her at <laughs> at a nightclub wearing a fishnet, I don't know, f- the shirt. It was just completely see-through. And I was upset at that. And I was like, listen, this isn't going to work. Fuck that. I'm out. Bye. That's how it ended after three months. So I ruined a three-year, very strong, my best friend relationship for a three-month, you know, I don't even, I don't even know what it was, a three-month freak show, I guess. But that's how that ended. So that's a giant part of my life that I live with. Um, And if we're going to move forward from that, close after me and Matt had our falling out, I got my driver's license. So now I'm a sophomore. Maybe I was a junior. I don't know. One of the two. I got my license and my first car was a Mustang. I had a job at Best Buy. I was able to make these payments. It was like a 2000 awesome blue Mustang. I love that thing so much. Um, so I, I'm telling this story because this is another highlight of my life that I think changed me drastically. So it's Thanksgiving Day, probably 2003, 2004. It's a freezing cold day out. I'm talking negative temperatures. We live in uh, Illinois, northern Illinois. And my cousin Justin wants me to come over for Thanksgiving because him and his sister are home by themselves, right? And I wasn't doing anything either probably wondering why aren't you doing anything on Thanksgiving? That's how my family works. We have a separated family. Sometimes we do things. Sometimes we don't. Um, so I'm like, yeah, man, I'll come over. Sure. For sure. So I get in my car and it was probably around one in the afternoon and I'm driving, make a right turn. And I'm about to go through this intersection. And I'm, I know, I remember what I'm slamming. I'm slamming a slipknot. Duelty, the song, just slamming it. And this car had these awesome Bose speakers. Like you were at the concert, right? I don't know. But I make a left turn. I'm clearing a yellow light. Bam! I get smoked by a Yukon. This SUV, white SUV going like 45, 50 miles an hour. Carrying everybody. Carrying a whole school probably is what it felt like, but I get nailed. I'm not wearing my seatbelt or am I? And my car obviously just gets blasted, blows up. Not literally, but like the airbag comes out, the windows blow out. 
car smoking comes to a complete stop. It's dead. I did like a 180 turn and this Yukon just went right through and blew off the tail of my car. If I had passengers in my car, they would be dead. hundred percent. And it's freezing cold out, right? I'm just kind of stunned. Like what the fuck just happened? I get out of my car. Not a fucking scratch on me. Not a scratch on me. At that moment, I think back to this day all the time. Like, did I die that day? It sounds silly, but there's no reason I should be alive. There's no reason... I should be alive after that car accident. It was horrible. It totaled, totaled my car. Like, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Like, why didn't I get thrown out the driver's side window? Why, did I, why didn't I get tossed out the, the windshield? Why didn't I slam my head on the steering wheel? Like, not a scratch on me. So, that's really strange to me. Obviously, I didn't make Thanksgiving. I think I think it's okay that I was a little late. Um, I I did end up going to the hospital, but only because they wanted to just check to see if I had a concussion or a head injury or anything, which everything came back negative. But I spent the majority of Thanksgiving in the hospital there. Um, before I got transported to the hospital, though, there was this cop that told me to go back in my car and get my license and registration. And it was in my glove box. There is literally a Yukon stuck in my car. And he wanted me to go back in my car to grab my shit. Like I, that's another thing that I just won't forget. Like why the, I was just involved in like this terrible accident. Why are you telling me to go back in my car to get my shit? Like that bothered me, but Nonetheless, man, not a scratch on me, so that's real strange. I don't know if it if it changed my brain or the way I think. Like I'll never know. But the fact is, like all my limbs are attached. I'm able to move. I'm still healthy. Um speaking of head injuries, I've had plenty of head injuries. I think I alluded to it earlier. I was I wasn't kidding about it. I've had a head injury. Hell, I basically came out of the womb with a head injury. So when I was like around six months old, you know those little walkers that you put your little baby in? And there's like wheels all around it and like you're free to be mobile. Like you just bounce up and down and you can walk in it and move around. Well, for whatever reason, I suspect this was a setup by my parents. They left me upstairs without a gate. This is going to make them sound horrible. But it happened, so you can't fake what happened. I made my way to the stairs in my little walker thing. And, you know, I was, like, tempted. Oh, those look like stairs. This would be such a good idea if I just went timber. And I fell all the way down the stairs, busting my head and my face. Yeah, I had so I had, like, this giant black and blue... I like my nose was messed up. My head obviously probably banged off the stairs. I'm sure. And this was at six months and 
my dad told my mom not to take me to the hospital because she worries too much, I think. I don't know. That's what I'm told. I asked my mom recently and that's, I'm like, why didn't you take me to the hospital? Oh, your dad thinks that I'm too uptight and I worry about everything. I'm like, yeah, this is the thing to be worried about though. I just fell down like five steps as a baby on my head. It's probably the thing to be worried about. But the thing that trips me out is that I'll never know if that did something to who I was supposed to be, like if that didn't happen, would I be thinking on a completely different field than I am right now? Makes you think, I don't know. Cause a head injury at that young, you'd have to suspect that there was some damage done, right? I don't think I'm retarded. I mean, <laughs> my ex-wife tells me I have Asperger's. It could be true. I don't know. Sometimes when I get really upset and I'm in an argument, like sometimes I'll just go silent and not talk because I'm so frustrated. And usually if I say something, it'll be horrifying and mean. So I just learned to like, just not be there. Just, just tune it all out. There's like little things like that, that I wonder if that accident never happens, my reading and comprehension is, is shit. I cannot read and comprehend what I read well at all. So throughout school, I was a mess. Like my test scores were always so low because you're timed. And I'm all, like, you can give me fucking 14 hours to read three paragraphs I'll have to read that thing like 18 times and be like, all right, I think I understand what they're trying to, to say in the first two sentences. I think, I don't know. Cause I get like all of these scenarios in my head and like, if they're, there's like some trickery to it. I don't know. I always think there's like trickery to what people, what people are saying, you know, I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, I like who I am. Um, I don't get embarrassed easily. I tell it how it is, like what's on my mind. I'm not afraid to to speak to anybody and to stick up for how I really feel. Maybe I should go get a CAT scan, see how my brain's doing. I probably do have CTE or something, but... One of the best decisions I've made in my entire life was joining the wrestling team. And the reason why this kind of goes hand in hand about what I'm talking about is because your head gets hit on the ground a lot in, uh, in wrestling. But it was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. It was scheduled. It was hard work. It was regimen. You took responsibility and accountability. Um. I think it does a, a good job for young men that don't have a father figure in their life because that teaches discipline and that's something that's missing. When, when kids grow up in fatherless households, you miss discipline. My dad did do a good job while he was there teaching discipline. He was in the Marines, so it was kind of a strict household. 
but that was only up until you know like I don't know, 10 11 12 years old and then after that it was just I had to kind of trial by fire and wrestling did a ton for me but with that comes the head injuries too um but I do things nowadays to try and alleviate and mitigate the potential outcome of severe head injuries and multiple head injuries. Um, I'm looking into that like for one psychedelics, right? Not like going on full blown trips, but taking a microdose of psilocybin shows like, um, I forgot what it's called, man. Neuroplasticity. Plasticity. It's always the hardest word to say, but essentially like neurons regrow back in your mind in your brain when you when you microdose they're still doing studies on that but it looks pretty convincing um i feel wonderful though i'm 34 years old about to be 35 and i feel sharp i feel good everything feels like it's intact i'm able to be a good dad which is obviously number 1 on my list and i'm i'm really happy where my life is heading right now. So I think we're going to wrap it up there right now. It's been about 50 minutes of me just ranting. This is probably part one of four, four or five, but but look, man, I'll just leave you with this, with this episode. Uh, Growing up, I was ostracized, you know, by my family and my cousin, Justin and me were basically the convicts of the family, you know, without getting too far into that, I had days where I thought tomorrow would never come because of how difficult the current situation was. And it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to remedy itself essentially. And there were multiple, multiple, multiple events like that throughout my entire life, like relationships, jobs, friends, family, the law, school, money, et cetera. The list is just endless, right? I'm sure many of you understand that. And the journey you know, my journey has made me very resilient and very weathered. And I love using that, that word. I think it's a good descriptive word weathered and as difficult as the circumstances got, you know, suicide was just never the answer, but neither was being complacent. And I think being complacent is basically like mental suicide to me because you stop trying. You just basically go through life and the motions until you you die physically. You know, I have I have some interesting stories and I think I'm a pretty unique individual with some teachable experiences that I'd like to share and you know as I come out with more of these uh episodes about me, I'll get into more stories, but hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh we tried it. Again, I was I was dreading doing this one because I don't like talking about myself a lot at all. Never have, never will probably, but you know, you can either accept yourself for who you are or you're going to have a difficult time in this life. And it's harder for people to find themselves nowadays because of all the influence out there. So I'll leave you with that. And, you know, I don't know how much value I bring to this universe, but if I was able to make someone happy out there, feel worthy, you know, I'll go off, I'll go off into the sunset into, into the good night peacefully. So there's that. 
Until the next one, friends. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening.